Kids, thanks for joining us in worship this morning. You're welcome to stick around for the sermon, or if you'd rather, you can go on the Facebook page for our Grace Kids group. If you just search Grace Kids Seal Beach, and Miss Lois has put together a really fun video and lesson for you guys as well. Well, what would you say in the face of death? About three years ago, I got a call from the chaplain over at the Los Alamitos uh, Hospital, and they had a family who were going through tremendous trauma and were looking for a pastor to come visit. And so I drove over there, not necessarily knowing what I was getting into. It turned out there was a young woman, she was about 23, who had just graduated from Cal State Dominguez. She was from Sri Lanka originally, and her family had come over for her graduation that week. And what was meant to be a momentous and joyful time in her life had turned incredibly sour. Out of nowhere, for causes the hospital couldn't figure out, her body had begun to shut down. And as I got there to the hospital, uh, five minutes before I got there, she had just died out of nowhere. She'd been healthy two days before, and now she was dead. And her family was grieving as I'd never seen before. About 10 minutes after I get there, the family and I get invited into the room to see the body. And I stand there with these people I had just met as her mom and dad and siblings and grandparents weep over the loss of their daughter and sister and granddaughter. It was one of the most raw and hard moments I've ever been in as a pastor. And after a few minutes of unguarded weeping and mourning, the family gathers themselves together enough to turn to me and hold hands and say, Pastor, can you pray? What would you say in the moment in the face of death like that. Now, I, I know that sounds like a, a vocational challenge for people like me, but all of us are living in the face of death. All of us are gonna be confronted with moments like that. Now, I, I hope and pray that that is not your story as a result of this COVID-19 crisis. I pray that no one in our church will ever die from this. I hope and I exhort you as your pastor to practice social distancing, to make sure that you're staying safe at home, that you're washing your hands diligently and taking every precaution in order to help protect yourself and protect the vulnerable people in our community. But even if it's not this, it will be something. You know, there's gonna be a day at some point in the future where either Becca will stand by my grave or I will stand by her grave. There'll be a moment in your life where someone that you love will die. And someone may turn to you and ask you to respond to death. How would you do that? Well, today in John chapter 11, we're going to look at how Jesus responds in the face of the death of someone that he loved. I know this is a heavy passage and a heavy topic, but in order to understand Jesus' life and ministry, we need to understand how he responds to death. Because he has come in order to conquer the grave for you and I. So let's get into John chapter 11. It's a, a beautiful chapter, a rich chapter, one of the most beloved chapters in the New Testament and throughout the history of the church. And in our short time together today, we can't cover every wonderful detail about it. In fact, all we're really going to be able to look at is three things. Jesus' three responses that he gives in the face of death. His response to Martha, his response to Mary, and his response to death itself. But there's a lot more that we can get into in this chapter. And so uh, if you want to come back tomorrow at noon, uh, we'll be here on Facebook Live on the same feed. And I'm going to unpack a few more details, a few more insights from the passage and pray with you and just sort of chat a little bit. So if you want to come back tomorrow at noon, we'd love to talk with you 
more about that on Facebook Live or on Instagram Live at Grace Seal Beach. But today we're here, and let's open our, our Bibles to John chapter 11. The chapter begins with Jesus getting word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus was sick. Apparently Lazarus was gravely sick enough uh, that his sisters were concerned about his very life. And they try to find Jesus, said, send word to him all the way up in Galilee that the disciple that he loves is ill. Hoping desperately that he will come and heal them even as he's healed other people. Now we don't know how Mary and Martha and Lazarus know Jesus. Uh, the only detail that John gives is that in the next chapter, in chapter 12, Mary will be the one who anoints Jesus' feet with oil. But that's still yet to come in the future. So we don't really know how they know each other, just that they care deeply for one another. Which makes it more, all the more striking when the passage says that Jesus, even though he loves Lazarus, stays where he is. So why does he stay? Why doesn't he go and help him? Is it because he doesn't really care about Lazarus? He's not able to do something? Does he consider Lazarus disposable, uh, a, a necessary cost, the greater good of the kingdom of God? Or maybe it's that he's scared. He doesn't want to go, to go down to Judea because the last time he was there, the leaders of Israel had tried to stone him. That's what some of his disciples assume is his reasoning. No, Jesus gives the reason, actually, in chapter 11. He says it's so that they and us today would know that he is the resurrection and the life. As we look at this passage today, it has a tremendous theological lesson for us about who Jesus is and what his life is all about. So the first person he interacts with when he comes to Bethany, the town right outside Jerusalem where Lazarus has died, is Lazarus's sister Martha. And this is the first response that I really want us to pay attention to. How Jesus responds to Martha in this moment of great grief and great concern. And in that moment, I want you to hear Jesus's words as if they're to you. I want you to hear how he would speak to you in the midst of our own fear and concern and anxiety. How he responds to us when we're worried and angry with him about a death that we feel like he could have prevented. So let's get into the passage here in uh, John chapter 11, uh, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I love Martha's prayer, if I can call it that, in verse 20. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the, the prayer that's pregnant with both faith and anger at the same time. Both the feeling that, like, I, I believe, Jesus, that you had been able to do something, and yet I see the reality that you chose not to. Martha learns this lesson that we all learn as we walk with God, that being a friend of God's, does not exempt us from the pains of this life. If you had been here, he would not have died. You know, if, if Martha had just given up her faith in that moment and become an atheist or given up her hope in Jesus and said he, he's a fraud, in some ways it might have felt easier, right? She wouldn't have had to worry. If he could have been here, he could have done something. She could have just said, well, it wouldn't have mattered. He doesn't really care. No, no, she holds her faith while she also experiences grief and gives us these words that are so helpful for us today. If you had been here, he would not have died. Yet, even now, I know that whatever God asks of you, he will do. Martha has this sliver of 
hope and faith in the midst of this feeling of anger. And if you're holding both those things now and they feel incongruent to you, just know that you're not the first one to have hope and anger, faith and despair at the same time. How does Jesus respond? Well, to Martha, and it'll be different when he talks to Mary, but to Martha, he responds with this challenge. He reminds Martha of what is true. He reminds her of what she believes and what she has learned. He reminds her in her moment of great despair of what is most important in her life and for her godliness. For you and for I, we need the same lesson that Martha learns here. That it is a foolish thing to forget in the darkness what you have learned in the light. That moments of great despair are the worst time to reevaluate what we have learned on the mountaintops. Moments of pain and despair are real data points. They are real experiences that we can learn from, but they are not the only ones. And for Martha, she needs to remember what she already knows to be true about Jesus. Look at how Jesus challenges her in verse 24 and verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus makes clear that that he wants more specificity from her, or for her. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh, what a wonderful thing to hear if you're Martha. What, what a, a powerful verse for all of us to be reminded of. And it is this challenge for her that we need to hear as well. In fact, Jesus punctuates it with this last line, do you believe this? I've wondered sometimes if Jesus should have given this kind of sermon to Martha in her moment of pain. I mean, isn't he just kind of being one of Job's counselors at this point? That the guy who in the midst of loss and pain comes to someone and gives them a lecture of, don't worry, your brother will be in heaven one day. This is not what I need to hear right now, Jesus. Couldn't you hear Martha responding with that? Well, Okay, a couple things. One, Jesus knows the heart of Martha and loves her more deeply than any of us will ever do with anyone we're around. So he certainly has the insight to be able to know whether this is the right thing to say or not. But secondly, there's a response there that I think all of us should take note of. That we're going we're gonna to get to weeping and tears and empathy when we talk about Jesus' response to Mary. But let's not too quickly jump past the role of being reminded of what is true. In the face of death, and the face of fear, you and I need to be reminded of what is true about God. We need to be reminded that in this crisis that none of us have gone through before, God is in control. We need to be reminded that when we're scared, that we have no control over whether we will catch this disease or not, that God holds us in his hands with love. We need to be reminded that we, while we feel sometimes like our life is in our hands, like we're at, at uniquely in charge of making sure we survive this, that God is the one who has numbered our days and holds us close to him. We need to be reminded of what is true in the face of death. To that challenge, Martha responds with this wonderful profession of faith in verse 27. She says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, is that what Jesus asked? 
It's not quite, right? What Jesus said is, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? And Martha responds with, I believe in you. And sometimes that's the best prayer we can offer. God, I, I, I don't know about this situation, but I know that you care. I believe in you as a person, God. I don't see what you're doing or what the goodness of it is, and I'm angry about it, but I believe in your goodness, and I trust myself into your hands. With this, Martha leaves the scene and goes and gets her sister Mary and says, Mary, the teacher is looking for you. What a sweet moment of grace that Jesus is looking for Mary. Martha's run out to see him and talk about this situation while Mary has sullen and sunken herself at home. And yet Jesus wants to see her too. So Mary goes out to see Jesus. And when she gets there, she offers the same objection, word for word in English, that Jesus has heard from her sister already. Some commentators have wondered if the symmetry between the two of them should show us that the two sisters have been practicing the objection they're going to give to Jesus. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We expect Jesus to give the same response, right? He's heard the same objection, but yet he's heard it from a different person this time. He's heard the same words of concern, but he's heard them coming from a different heart. And so his response is different in verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. This is the second response that Jesus gives in the face of death. His tears to join our tears. In the face of this great injustice and great pain that death is, we see Jesus' desire to join with us in weeping. This in some ways is an apologetic for emotion. And by apologetic, I, I, I just, that's a church word that just means a reason why it's okay for us to be sad and to cry. If you felt overcome with emotion this week, if you've been shedding tears over your fears or your anxieties or anticipating loss, know that that's not a sign of lack of faith or a sign of ungodliness, but a sign of humanity, one that you join with Jesus in. Jesus weeps in the face of death. This is a, a shocking thing to see for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it's shocking is that Jesus knows that he's going to interrupt this. You might remember at the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus had told his disciples, Lazarus has died and I am going to wake him up. I'm going to resurrect him. Jesus has shown up on the scene of a funeral. He has said that he is the resurrection and the life. His intent, he knows, is to resuscitate Lazarus. And yet he spends time weeping. What does that tell us about Jesus' kindness and his love for us and his empathy for what Mary is experiencing? I mean, after all, most of us are so uncomfortable with the grief of other people that if we would have seen what he saw, we would have tried to console them and make them feel better and say, no, don't worry, it'll be better. Even if we don't have any way of making it better. 
But how much more, if we knew we were going to resurrect Lazarus from the grave, would we have wanted to wipe those tears off people's eyes? Say, there is nothing to be sad about. Don't worry. Everyone, just start pushing on that rock and it'll all be okay. But Jesus doesn't do that. At least not yet. He takes a moment to grieve and to weep with those who are weeping. You know, in Romans 12, 15, it says that as Christians, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I imagine in your home, whatever your home looks like, if you're married or not, you have roommates, friends, parents, whatever, that you're probably having different emotional experiences about this crisis than the people around you. I'm going to guess that uh, some of you are the ones who are more rigid about this and some of you are more libertine. I'm going to guess that some of you are more scared about the future and some of you are more uh, laissez-faire about it. That some of you are more worried and some of you are more loose with what the future might hold. And it's easy in these sorts of situations to lose track of empathy, to forget to rejoice and to mourn with others in order to enter into their emotional experience, not to lose your own humanity, but to see how this is affecting other people. I hope that in your homes, you're able to mourn with those who mourn and to have kindness for the different experiences that other people are having. Jesus weeps in this moment over death, even death that he knows he's going to interrupt. How much more should we be willing to enter into the emotional experience of others, even if we think that we see the world a little bit differently than they do? Now, I, I've wondered, and a lot of people have wondered, why Jesus weeps to this degree? In fact, he weeps not just a little bit, but the, the Greek word that's used here means he bawls. He weeps deeply over what's happening in front of him. Why does he weep so much? Like I said, it's not just because of Lazarus' death. It's not that he's afraid that he's lost Lazarus. He knows he's going to bring him back. No, a number of commentators, and I would agree with this, think that he's weeping not over Lazarus' death, but over death itself. In fact, in verse 33, when it says he experiences great emotion, that's kind of a, a vague translation of a, a more concrete term. The, the term that John uses here, it's, it's a very unusual word. It's the same term that you'd use when a horse was angry and its nostrils were flaring. It means someone who's irate, who has deep anger. That Jesus experiences deep emotion in this moment. That it, he bawls over death. And that he decides in this moment to confront death. In fact, in verse 38, the word's used again. It says in verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. I think for a lot of us, it's hard to imagine this third response of Jesus to death. This response of anger. Because we rarely see angry Jesus. Often when we talk about the emotion of anger, we talk about it as a, a threat, a potential way for us to sin. And, and it's true. You know, in the New Testament, it says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And our anger often does lead us down the wrong path. But for Jesus, his anger, as we're going to see in this passage, is at death itself. After all, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be defeated is death. And Jesus is the one who will defeat him. And we see in this passage, Jesus' anger at death itself. His nostrils flaring, he's irate at death, and he tells people to move the stone. Now, Martha, 
ever the pragmatist, is concerned that if they do this, it'll cause a great scene. She has faith, but her faith doesn't necessarily have a category for resurrecting someone who's been dead for four days. And she tells Jesus, if we do this, it'll cause a great stink. Or if you have the old King James Version, it says, it will cause a great stinketh. So if you're wondering if stinketh is a biblical term, apparently in the King James, there you've got one. But Jesus says to her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The glory of God in this case is revealed in this moment of anger and victory. As Jesus cries out to God and says, God, I'm glad that you hear me. I know you always hear me, but for the benefit of others around me, I say this. And then he yells. Why he has to yell, I don't know, but it says he yells Maybe because he's excited, maybe because he's angry, maybe because when you're dead, hearing is hard, I don't know. At Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And in the midst of this incredibly sad and emotional passage is this moment of great levity that Lazarus comes out, still bound with grave cloths. His face is covered and his feet are bound, the passage said. So you've got to imagine him hopping his way out of this tomb, not able to see. And I wonder, like, Does Jesus call to him? Like, Lazarus, this way. Like, don't run into the stone. Marco, Polo. Or whatever you would have said 12 centuries before Marco Polo. Lazarus comes out and people are so shocked. And they don't have categories for this that Jesus even has to tell them to let Lazarus loose and let him go. This incredibly sad story ends on this wonderful ending, at least it seems to, on the surface as Lazarus is free to return to his family. That the resurrection that Jesus has promised has come to pass. That this man who has died has come back to life. What a sweet moment. It now becomes like a bad dream. Martha and Mary can look back on this moment with gratitude, not with pain. Knowing that even the worst thing that they could have dreamed of has become untrue. The reason I say it only seems to end on a comedy ending is the end of chapter 11. Because it turns out that there is no way to remove Lazarus from the grave without Jesus himself going to the grave. This is a foreshadow of the gospel itself. If you look down in verse 53, you'll see what I mean. It says in verse 53, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now, I wonder, maybe you wonder too, why on earth you're trying to execute someone who has just raised someone from the dead? But but the deeper theological point is being pointed out by the chief priest himself just a few verses earlier. When Caiaphas says in verse um, 48, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 50, it is better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Caiaphas doesn't totally understand what he's saying at this point. But as we look back on the gospel, we see what he means. For Jesus to bring Lazarus out of the grave, he himself had to go to it. Not because there's some sort of karmic equivalence or some sort of uh, death uh, personified that requires this. But because the gospel tells us that for you and I to have eternal life, that Jesus himself will have to give up his life. For you and I to be raised from the dead, 
that we are in in our sins and transgressions, Jesus would have to live a perfect life and yet go to the grave for us. For Jesus to bring Lazarus out of the tomb, he had to be willing to go to it himself. And for Jesus to bring Lazarus out of the tomb, he would have to trust that God himself would bring Jesus out of the tomb. It's a great hope and a great lesson for us. Well, what do I want for you out of these three responses that we see in Jesus to death? Well, I want you to be reminded of what is true. Just like Jesus reminded Martha that what you have learned in the light, remember in the darkness. In the moments of great difficulty and great pain are times to be reminded that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. That as I said a couple weeks ago from Justin Martyr, though they may kill us, they can never hurt us. That if you are in Christ, your eternity is secure no matter what happens. The second thing I want you to be reminded of in Jesus' response to death is just as Jesus wept with Mary, he weeps with you. Even as Jesus wept with Mary, knowing that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, there is still valid emotion and pain in the moment of loss and of fear. And while we don't need to grieve as people without hope, as uh, Paul reminded the Thessalonians, we still grieve, and we still grieve as people who have hope. And the third thing I want you to remember is that Jesus is angry at death, but he's not angry in the sense of yelling at the clouds. He's angry in the sense of a soldier who does something about it. He's angry in the sense of someone who can accomplish something meaningful about it. And he has conquered death. And even as he brought Lazarus out of the tomb, he did it by going to the tomb himself. And when he was resurrected from the grave, it meant that all who would follow him would be able to look forward to the day that they would be in heaven forever. You and I will experience death at some point. Unless Jesus comes again before we die, you and I will go to the grave, but it will not be the end of us. In Christ, we have hope that we can be with God forever. I hope you have that hope as well. Would you join me in prayer? God, I pray for my friends uh, who are listening to this, who are scared. Maybe, uh, like Martha, they feel a sense of um, being disoriented, not knowing what's true, or being maybe angry with you for you not living up to what they expect of you. God, I pray that you would remind us all of what is true in your word, of your care for us, of the hope that we have in Christ. I pray for my friends, maybe who are like Martha, who are like Mary, who feel a sense of just disorientation about everything this week, and um, who really just need to weep with you. I pray that as a church, we would be people of comfort and care for one another, and we would be able to mourn with those who mourn. And God, I thank you for all of us that we are able to look forward with hope as Lazarus was able to, to our resurrection, even as we follow Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.